Hey guys, thank you so much for listening. If you like the podcast, please hit that subscribe button, rate and review, and pass it on to your friends. Thanks. As this podcast episode deals with addiction and some issues that may trigger some people, listener discretion is advised. Welcome to the Stuff Up Podcast, where we delve into different topics to learn more about ourselves and more about others and the world around us. Let's talk about addiction with Heather Ross from Heather Ross Coaching. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, you're welcome. You and I have had, we had our pre-chat last week and we talked for like an hour. So I know that we can talk. (laughs) About everything but addiction. Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) So thank you so much for coming on and tell us uh, about yourself. Well, as you said, my name's Heather Ross and I'm a life coach. I work with mainly with parents who have a child struggling with addiction. And I got into that because I have a daughter that struggles with addiction. And I used to be a corporate controller. And I totally changed my life around to help other people because I struggled so much at first when my daughter's addiction, you know, the first couple of years, actually, I just felt like nothing I did was working. Everything I did was actually making things worse. And I spent a lot of time suffering in silence. And I didn't want other people to have to go through that. I had to spend a lot of time figuring out what worked for me, what actually helped my daughter and helped me to support her and feel good as a mother. And so once I got that figured out for myself, I just felt very compelled to share that with as many other parents as I could. Because at the time, I felt like I might not ever really be able to help my daughter, but I could help other people's kids by helping their parents. Yeah. Because a lot of times we're, we're struggling with something or we're dealing with something and we don't want to share that part of us. But when we do, people will come around and say, thank you so much for, because I need that support or I I needed to hear your story because I'm dealing with the same thing. So I think it's amazing what you're doing. It is vulnerable because you're sharing your story and your daughter's story and it's it's got to be hard. Yeah, it is. It is very vulnerable. It is something that was really hard for me to get used to. I was a pretty private kind of introverted person <laughs> before, but I had to really go outside of my comfort zone to share this work with people. And so my desire to help people override my desire to hide from everybody. (laughs) But it's totally worth it because it feels so good to me to get to help people and experience seeing them making changes in their life and in their relationship with their children and helping just overcome. There's so many, so much misinformation out there, so many stigmas, so many things that we need to overcome. And I think talking to a parent, you know, won't judge you who has been through the things that you have been through is like a really important part of what a parent needs when they're just living in shame and feeling like a failure like I did. So you mostly coach parents of kids who have addictions. Do you also coach people with addictions? No, I have not done that yet. I'm not saying that I wouldn't if the if it didn't come up. It would just depend on the situation and where they were in their recovery. Right. I mean, I do coach people on 
a lot of other things. I'm surprised the things people have come and just asked me, will you be my coach for something other than that? And I love working with other people on other things too. But as far as addiction goes, it's mainly been with the parents. Right. That's amazing that you're able to be a support to people because like you said, there's some, the misconceptions and what people think. And I've heard this and I know we've talked about that where some people will say, well, it's your fault. Like, what did you do that made your kid become addicted to drugs or alcohol or whatever? And that's got to be so gut-wrenching to hear because you're like, I was doing my best. And even Mm -hmm. giving, there's kids who have the best grades and they, they have whatever they need and different things and they still become addicted to things. So there's nothing really that as a parent, you can actually fully stop that from happening, right? Right. Yeah, I had this belief that I could parent in a way that would set my daughter up for success and make her life easy. And so when before that, I should say she was like this perfect kid, straight A student, never had any problems. So that was building up my false sense of security that I could be a good enough parent to avoid any of these painful things that might happen. And when her addiction started, of course, then I had this really painful belief that I had done something wrong and that it was all my fault, which is what how a lot of people, a lot of parents feel. We spend so much time trying to figure out where we went wrong and just submerged in the problem that we don't have any energy or room to really focus on the solution. It's really easy to get stuck there because it's almost like we think if we figure it out, then we'll be able to fix it. And of course, if there is a traumatic event or something like that, it is helpful to know that so that that can be a part of your child's recovery, getting treatment for that. But for the most part, I haven't found that to be helpful at all because then that just adds in the shame and just keeps us stuck in this really yucky place. And it comes between us and our children. I wasn't really able to bridge the gap between me and my daughter until I came to believe that I had just done the best job that I could. And that I was going to continue to learn about addiction and work on whatever it took to have a good relationship with her, no matter where she was, whether it was in active addiction or recovery. But I really started with getting rid of that painful belief that it was my fault or that I did something wrong. That must have been a freeing experience when you were finally able to let that part of it go and say, I, I it's not anything I did or didn't do or like trying to figure it all out. Yeah, it was. And it's, I had an acquaintance and it was somebody I really respected and they had twins and one of their kids struggled with addiction and the other one didn't. She, you know, was like this straight A student, the the kid that everybody wants. And I thought like those kids had exactly the same everything. And it just really hit me that they were raised exactly the same and they turned out totally different. And so what I was doing to myself wasn't useful. It wasn't helpful that I could have done everything perfect, could have done things totally different. We could have still ended up where we were. And I wanted 
to get more focused on the solution and help myself out of the problem and just free myself from all that guilt and shame. It's such a horrible, painful place to be. For sure. And I I think we do that so often. We're trying to figure out why did this happen in this? And we get so stuck there, but it's kind of like moving forward. And how do we handle this? How, what can we do? Like what you did. I mean, you, you sought out becoming a life coach and wanting to help other people and all those things, which is amazing. Well, it was an event brought on by my daughter that kind of freed me a little bit. One of the things was she ran away. She was a teenager at the time. I think she was she was 15 or 16 when she ran away for the first time. And of course, I was in an all-out panic. And I had really not been telling anybody what was going on in my life other than really close friends and family knew. I don't even think people at work knew because I figured that they would judge me. And so when she ran away, I had to share with everybody that she had ran away so that I could get help finding her. But as much as I was afraid to do that, it was also very freeing because I got so much support. And if anybody judged me, I didn't feel it or know about it. And it opened up healing for just to be able to say, this is what's going on in my life and and quit feeling all that shame about it. And just that kind of like, just, you know, not having to live with this huge secret anymore. Right. So another thing we get so caught up in kids thinking that addiction is only drugs, alcohol, but there's so many other things. I remember thinking that too. And then I realized I had an addiction to when I was younger to TV Mm -hmm. and to food and different things. And that was all acceptable in a way. But really, I mean, no matter what, there's something deep within us that we're longing for, that we're we're searching for. And I remember like we would always say, oh, people who do drugs and blah, blah, blah. Meanwhile, I have my own issues and I'm dealing with. And so I think we can get so caught up in the judgment of, what they're addicted to that we forget we all have that tendency or we can, you know, if we're not mindful of it or intentional about it. Yeah, it really took a lot of self-reflection on my part of really looking at myself and things that I was using to cope because that's really what it is. I mean, when my daughter started with her addiction. She was just trying to figure out how to cope with anxiety and depression at the time. And other people use different things to... People don't maybe judge as much if somebody just comes home and drinks a bottle of wine every night. It's no big deal because it's wine, because it's socially acceptable. Or maybe they gamble or... For me, I oh, I worked 60 hours a week. I didn't want to go home and deal with what was going on. So I just threw myself into work. But that was socially acceptable because it looked successful. Right. And so I had to really drop those judgments, my daughter as well, and really have some compassion and look for the similarities and really see that I was pretty lucky that what I was doing was considered socially acceptable. And I didn't have to deal with that judgment. You know, people were like, Oh, you're just so good at your job and successful. And but really, what I was doing was hiding from all of these things that were happening in my life that I didn't know how to deal with. And so 
But it was really a huge gift for me to have to do that reflection as well and see those similarities between myself and my daughter because I don't work 60 hours a week anymore. Like I don't think that that's a badge of honor. If I have a problem, I deal with the problem directly instead of hiding from it by working or something else. So it really helped me in the long run. And I think that a lot of times though, we get so focused on the addiction is the problem. And really the addiction is just showing us it's like a spotlight of problems that already exist and things that we need to work on. We need to stop focusing so much on the addiction and see what it's trying to show us. Wow, that's beautiful. And that that is so true. Like we just focus. I remember like with my eating and I'd have personal trainers and naturopaths and all these health people like you need to do this and this and this. But until I started to actually realize what was going on and the healing that needed to take place in myself, the food was just a symptom. Like that wasn't really why I was eating, binge eating, right? And I mean, I'm still kind of going through the process, but the healing is the biggest thing that we need to be focusing on and taking away kind of that stigma, that judgment of you shouldn't be doing drugs. Whereas like, what is going on with you? Like, how can we move forward in this? Yeah, absolutely. I spent so much time initially judging my daughter, just wanting her to change so that it could be easier for me. Like, why can't you just stop? And not really seeing. And I was angry because I didn't know what to do. And so I couldn't really see how bad she was hurting. I can look back now and really see it. And I would have approached it totally different today. But I think that it's really something... Plus, we have all these stigmas that go along with addiction, that it's a like a moral failing, and that you're a bad person. But really, everybody knows, every parent, their kid really was and still is a good person, you know, to some of their behaviors aren't necessarily the best anymore because of their addiction. But good people do get caught up in addiction and using drugs to help them feel better. And we just really have to start looking at it differently. Mm -hmm. Now, do you know, I'm not really, I don't know all the details and statistics, but I assume addiction has gone up over the years. Yes, especially like opioid addiction, which my daughter dealt with heroin addiction. And just it started out as drinking and marijuana and some other probably Xanax. And then eventually, you know, she got in trouble for running away. And it's interesting because people always want to give a lot of advice. And the advice that people give you might not be the best. Like you always think this something is going to be the answer. And one thing people kept telling me the answer was, well, when she gets in trouble and she's in the court system, then they'll make her take drug tests and she'll have to quit. Well, what happened was she moved from using marijuana to heroin because it would come out of her system faster. And so she could use that and still be able to pass her drug test because she knew she only had to go twice a week. So... The things that people tell us that are going to be helpful aren't necessarily (laughs) that helpful because, and that's the kind of decision somebody makes when they're 
decision is very clouded and their addiction is making the decisions for them. And that had a huge impact on her life. She was really young. She was 17 when that started. Do you think that, I guess, maybe if people start smoking or they start vaping or using marijuana, that could lead to more hardened drugs? I don't think it's any different than alcohol. Like if somebody's getting weed from the dispensary versus or going to the store to buy alcohol, I think it really just depends on the person and where they're at in their life. Some people just shouldn't do it. It just doesn't work out for well for them. Some people can have a drink and it's no big deal. Other people just can't stop at one. And I kind of look at marijuana the same way that it's just not one of those things that's across the board the same for everybody. I think we do that. We we say this is for everybody. And then when you look at, we're all so unique in different situations. Like I know I have a friend who said she can't have, she can't even eat a certain type of chips because when she starts, she just can't stop. Right. And I'm like, oh man, I'm kind of the same way. And so I'm like, well, but I kind of still eat them. But should I maybe not eat them at all? Whereas somebody else, they can stop and no problem, right? We're all, right. We all have those different scenarios. Yeah, I don't think that you could say we should, nobody should ever eat chips because some people can't <laughs> eat them or whatever that we're all going to have the same effects from them. And I think it's the same thing with drinking or using marijuana. We just can't say across the board what it's going to lead to. That's so true. Actually, growing up in a, pretty conservative Christian environment. It You know, we'd have the different people would have ideas on drinking alcohol. And I went to a church where it was like, don't drink any alcohol. And then I went to another church where one of the pastors was like, hey, I like beer. I'll go out for a beer with people. And it's kind of, it was like astonishing. Like, what? Beer? <laughs> and I'm like, you know, maybe for some people, they just can't touch alcohol and that's fine. But don't be like, well, you should never have a drink of beer, you know? <laughs> Yeah. You don't know what that person, like they might be fine with it and that's fine. Yeah. Whatever the buffer is, I kind of like to think of it more in that category. It's like anything you're using to change how you feel that has a negative consequence. So if you're sitting in front of the TV and eating chips and ice cream and scrolling through Facebook and you still feel completely dissatisfied and you're trying to avoid something, then that's a net negative consequence. It doesn't feel good. But if you're doing that and you're just like giddy with excitement and happy that you're doing it, then it's probably okay at that time. It's just like you're just having a good time doing it. But I think it's seeing these things that have that net negative consequence. And are you trying to run away from something? Like we're always either moving towards how we want to feel or away from how we don't want to feel. And I try to focus more on and helping my clients with seeing that difference and how can I move towards what I want instead of always running from what I don't want. Right. Do you think a lot of addiction is because we don't know how to process our feelings and kind of and handle those situations? Hey guys, I just wanted to interject here. As I'm going through and listening to this episode, I realized Heather had answered this question previously. Heather, I am so sorry. Uh, you know, sometimes I get caught up in the moment of the questions I have that I'm I'm not fully aware of what people have said previously. I still get a little bit nervous and awkward 
And I really have to work on my listening skills and focusing more on the conversation rather than the questions I have beside me. So thank you for your patience, Heather, and for your grace and for just answering the question as I, even though you had answered that previously. Okay, now back to the interview. Absolutely. Like we don't really, we're so uncomfortable with negative emotions. You think you see somebody, they're feeling bad. The first thing is like, you tell them, don't be sad. (laughs) It's okay. Instead of just sitting with the discomfort of that person's discomfort and allowing it and just being there for them, but it makes us uncomfortable. So we immediately want to fix it. And so that's because we're not even comfortable with our own emotions. Like I was one of those people who wanted to be numb all the time. I did not like feeling feelings. I thought I honestly felt like they were a nuisance. Like I just wanted to eliminate them. I didn't want to deal with them, which did not work out well for me. Now I'm into really, I work at allowing my feelings. If I need to cry, I cry. Like if I feel sad about something, I just acknowledge it and allow my sadness or grief or whatever it is. But, and I've had to learn about that, like read books about processing emotions. And because we just try to skip right over it and get to the good stuff all the time. Mm -hmm. Always so identify with that. Or, you know, when you cry and then I always felt bad if I'd cried, especially at work, (laughs) because everyone's like, they're uncomfortable right? And they want to fix it. And then they'd ask me, oh, are you okay? What happened? And the more I try to talk, the worse it got. But -hmm. I know like everyone's uncomfortable around it. And because I used to cry so often because I was such a mess, I got used to it. And then I was able to sit with other people who are crying and just be like, not say anything, just sit with them. But most people are not comfortable with crying or kind of in a If they're not happy things, they're not comfortable with them. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I shared with you the other day that I've been going through breast cancer and that has made me be so much more vulnerable when it comes to like, it's just pushed me to a whole new level of processing emotions and being like several times I've cried on videos or podcasts or whatever. And I've just had to allow that. Like I was never comfortable with that before. I was just showing up with sharing things. But now I'm sharing my emotions. And hopefully that can help people too by helping seeing me go through this process while sharing my emotions and even telling people, you know, initially people wanted to make me feel better. Tell me everything's going to be okay. And I'm like, this doesn't feel okay. And I'm going to not be okay until I'm ready to be okay. Like for the first time in my life, I don't think I'd ever really said that before, but I just stood up for needing to allow however I felt in that situation. And it felt really, really good to be okay with everybody else's discomfort about how I felt for once. And so that's been very freeing as well and just helped me lean even more into helping people process emotion. Mm -hmm. Do you find it a little bit of a pressure when when they're trying to make it, you feel better? But I know for me, I'd feel pressure and like, I need to stop crying. I need to stop crying. And then I'd get more pressure and I'd feel worse and I'd cry more. So I think maybe like, I know people have the best of intentions, but it kind of has the opposite effect. 
Do you find that? Yes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, because when people were trying to tell me everything was going to be okay when it didn't feel okay, it just made me mad. You know, <laughs> I'm like, you do not know how I feel. Like everything is not okay. And so I started really just saying, like, hey, I'm going to be crying a lot. <laughs> just warning you coming up on surgery, just know I'm going to be crying. And that made it like kind of announcing it. And but I was saying what I needed and telling people what I needed and letting them know this is how I'm going to process this. This is how I'm going to grieve. This is how I'm going to go through this so that five years from now, I'm not crying about it. I'm going to cry in the moment when I feel it. And it's been really freeing to be able to just say, hey, I'm going to cry for a while. Mm -hmm. And that feels way better. Feeling comfortable in that is also very freeing, right? And it's kind of like a a growth because most people are not comfortable and being vulnerable. <laughs> yeah, it is. I'm not going to say that it's, it's completely comfortable when I'm crying in front of people, but I'm okay with the discomfort of it. Mm-hmm. I'd rather feel that discomfort than push it down and know what that does to me. Right. For sure. Now, does your daughter, is it weird for her that you talk about her addiction? Have you guys talked about that? Yes, we talk about it. So before I ever came out with this idea of what I was going to do, I talked to her about it and got her permission. And the other thing is, I really try to focus as much as possible on me when I'm sharing and how it affected me and how I responded to it. I try to tell as little as her of her story as possible. And I keep things that I know she wouldn't want anybody to know to myself. But of course, she also knew that there would be some sharing of her story because it's a part of my story. But she also really liked the idea of the pain that we had gone through helping people. And so I really am very proud of her that she was willing to be vulnerable enough to let me share this and be proud of me for doing it. Yeah, that's awesome. And and maybe in a certain way, it also makes her feel like through her story, she's able to help others. Yeah, I mean, she's gone through a lot of pain because of this. And she does like the idea that at least that it wasn't for nothing, that it mm-hmm. is helping other people. Yeah. I know you and I, we talked about how, because sometimes we'll, we'll assume, you know, somebody goes to rehab and okay, now they're fixed. Now it's not going to come back and they're going to continue on the right path. And I heard this story. It was on the Simon Sinek podcast and it was a man in the States. I can't remember where, but he has an organization that helps a lot of the homeless. And he said, you have to kind of learn to let it go the expectation because you help people and they go back on the streets and they come back and they're addicted and they come back and you just love them. And I was like, wow, because a lot of times, right, we just like, okay, they're in rehab. Okay, they came back. They're fine now and they can go and build a positive life. So do you find that with parents, do they kind of assume that if their child goes to rehab the first time, they think it's going to be better from here? I think the big misunderstanding there is that once they go, if they're sober, everything is going to be okay. 
And what really happens is we just replace our worries. So instead of all of the worries that we have about their active addiction, like overdose or dying or homelessness or trouble with the law, whatever it is, we just go into worrying about how they're not doing sobriety right Mm -hmm. and worrying about them relapsing. And so it's really important that we shift that focus to ourselves and focusing on the things that we can control and taking the spotlight off of them because it doesn't fix things. My daughter just went to rehab for the second time. She's over 90 days sober. I'm not sure what it is. She finished. She's living in sober living and she's doing great. But I still have to use the same tools that I was using while she was in active addiction. It's so easy for me to just worry about everything else. Is she doing this? Is she... I have to be mindful or I won't even be able to enjoy this time. Now I am really enjoying it a lot. But there still are times that I'm like, Heather, back off. She's 21 years old. She's an adult. She's really been living on her own for a long time. Let her have her own experience. So I think that's the big thing is thinking that it will fix things, but it doesn't. We just replace our worries. But as a parent, you're always a parent, no matter how old the child is, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. But it's, it's fun when she's calling me to ask me how to cook something versus she has no food or money or place to live. It's so, so amazing to be getting those kinds of calls right now. But I also know that that could change and it could go back to not having anywhere to go and her being an active addiction again. And so I have to focus on these tools that I've learned for myself and still keep using them. I would be heartbroken, but I would know how to make it through it. Mm -hmm. How do you handle that when, let's say she has no money and she's living on the streets or, and your initial reaction would probably be like, come home, I want to take care of you. But then there's the, she has to figure it out herself. Like, how do you, what do you tell parents when their child is going through that and they're calling wanting money or something? How do you even handle that? Well, it's different for each parent. I had to build up a tolerance to being able to say no. I had to believe that saying no was the right thing. I had to be able to say no and not feel totally guilty about it. Like I had to believe that saying no was right for her and for me. And I couldn't do it 100% of the time. Once in a while, I would give in and say yes to something. But then I'd always have to know that, okay, it's she's going to ask more. It's going to be harder for me to build up those boundaries again. So I just meet parents where they are, help them build up that tolerance from wherever they are. I'm never going to tell somebody what they can or can't do. I'm just going to help them remove all of the mess, <laughs> all the confusion that keeps them from being able to decide what's right for them and help them move forward with that. Because there's so many people out there giving advice that anything you're doing, including loving your child is enabling. And I think that each person, each parent has to come to the place of deciding what is right for them, what is enabling. I always fed my daughter. Some people say you shouldn't feed your kids. That does not sit right with me. 
It didn't feel right to me. It didn't keep my daughter from getting sober when I fed her, but I didn't give her money. And that's what worked for me. But other parents, they have to build up to be able to do that. It had to be more uncomfortable to me to have her at home, using in my home, and then it was for me to say, you can't live here if you're going to use. Right. You know, it really has to, to make that flip where it is more uncomfortable to say yes than it is to say no. Mm. You're very wise because it's so easy to tell people. I mean, I've had people tell that to me and my mom said it. You shouldn't do this. You shouldn't enable somebody. But it depends on the situation. I remember... When I lived to Toronto, when I first moved there, I had such bad depression. Like I was physically, I couldn't really move. I was in pain. It was just a a giant mess. And I was living with these roommates. It was just a horrible situation. And my mom drove for the first semester anyway, until I moved to a better place. My mom picked me up every weekend and brought me back to her house. And because I couldn't, I was in school, I couldn't concentrate. And I just, I, I... Being at my parents' house, I was able to read in a more quiet environment and stuff. And somebody I know from my church was like, well, I would have just said, you need to take the train or the bus home because it's like two hours from Toronto. Right. Which makes sense if you're saying, well, your daughter's using you. Like, why are you going all the way to pick her up? But people didn't understand that I was in such a state if I had to go downtown and, and take a whole bunch of bags. Like I was physically in pain and I was so in such a bad place that I couldn't even go and take the bus or the train. So I think people don't know the situation, right? And they think right. you're enabling, but really it's saving that person during this difficult time. Yeah, it is. I think each parent deserves the dignity to figure out what they're ready for and when. I think people are well-meaning when they say those things, but nobody really knows what it would be like in the situation until they're actually in it. Like we think we know, but we really have no idea until we're experiencing it. And so while those people are well-meaning when they say those things, they really just don't know. And then even people who have experienced a child's addiction, maybe cutting their child out of their life feels right for them, but it did not feel right for me. And I feel to this day, the way that I have handled it is the way that was best for me. My daughter's comments all the time, how supported she felt by me and loved by me, even though I was saying no to many things, but I was still loving and supporting her from a distance and showing up for her. And I think that each parent deserves the dignity to figure out for themselves what that looks like without judgment, without somebody saying what you're doing is killing your child, basically, because that's what most people believe that any form of enabling, telling them you love them, consoling them if they're sad or feeding them is enabling them. And... I just didn't feel that way. So I wanted to make sure that I was able to support parents from a place of helping them figure out what was best for them in their situation instead of me or anybody else telling them what they should do. Because then you're always reliant on people outside of you to tell you what to do. 
I want to help people have a way to figure out what's best for them, no matter what. Give them that independence. Part of the problems that we face in life are because we think that things outside of us control us and we give it so much impact on our life instead of looking inside for the answers and being able to figure out, okay, I have this circumstance in my life. How do I want to show up? You know, what can I control in this situation? How do I want to relate to this? And that's where people really have power and control. And that's what I want to do for parents is give them that. The control feels like it's totally been taken away by addiction. Like everything feels crazy and out of control. And then bringing it back inside and having a way to know that you can trust yourself to be the best parent for your child to figure out the answers. That's what I really want to give to people because that's what makes things so hard when we feel like we can't do that or we don't have that. We don't know how. When you're coaching parents, is it more you're helping them to figure out their best scenario for them? Like you're just kind of getting them to come to their own realization about things? It depends where they are. I mean, a lot of it is really understanding getting them focused more on themselves. Because when it comes to dealing with addiction, we're focused on fixing them so that we can feel better. It's that external focus I was talking about where something outside us has to change so that we can be okay. And my first focus is nothing outside of you has to change for you to be okay. And this is how you self-regulate. This is how you get things turned back around to where you're in control of your life again, instead of your child and their addiction. And that's where the healing is able to start taking place. So that's where it all starts. Because I have a written program that they work on, and then they work on with me one-on-one weekly. And so it's really understanding where their power and control is and how to get it back from addiction. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah, for sure. I mean, a lot of times we just want to fix things. Tell me how to fix this situation and and I want to be happy, but this external thing is happening. And it's kind of like, we have to learn how to find our own happiness or how to be okay in this because there's always going to be something outside of our control that it's going to do something, make us sad or upset. I'm learning this. I get upset over <laughs> what people do when I'm like, her. <laughs> but you can only control what you can control. Was it for you to learn that you did, no matter what other people did, you had a choice in how you respond to it and that you can choose how you think about it or how you relate to it when it was like mind blowing to me when I learned that because I felt like I really only had one way that I could respond to it. And that was to be offended. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Well, I grew up in an environment where you a very kind of controlling environment too, where you get mad at everyone else for all these things. And I grew up in that. And I was like, this sucks. We're always miserable. And then when you can kind of just let it go and be like, it's fine. I'm only responsible for me. I'm not responsible what my brother or, or whoever else does what they do. We yeah. forget that a lot of times. Well, yeah, it's again, this that external focus. And so really, it is so empowering to turn things around and have a new way to relate to the world, basically. Mm-hmm. 
I know like when I was growing up, I went to high school in the 90s. I thought I was the only one with anxiety. I didn't even know I had anxiety till I was in my mid 30s. And then I'm finding out a lot of us look back and, and we're like, wow, I had anxiety and I did that with this. But we didn't know any of that stuff. We didn't talk about it. And they do talk about it now. I think it's, we know a lot more about it. We know that the kids are struggling, but we didn't have a lot of what they're dealing with now. And when I think about social media, I mean, there are some times where I'm like, it would have been cool to have the internet in high school. Right. <laughs> well, it came out when I was in high school, but actually real cool internet. Back then it was boring because there wasn't much on it and social media. But I'm really grateful that I didn't grow up in the time because I can't even imagine what these kids have to deal with, with, you know, if you're bullied at school and then you come home and you're, you're bullied online or you see these images of what you think people look like. And I'm at an age now where I'm like, okay, I know it's fake. You know, I learned to love myself for who I am. But back then when I was a teenager, I wouldn't have had that understanding. Do you think a lot of how kids are having to deal with all this extra stuff on top of just school and the pressure of school and all that stuff, does that play a part, you think, with with how addiction is rising? Yeah, I think, you know, because my daughter had told me that social media played a part for her because we, and even as adults, we do this. We compare somebody else's social media highlight reel of their life to how we feel <laughs> inside. Yeah. and we're feeling yucky inside and looking at this snapshot moment of somebody else's happiness that was curated just for that post and comparing to that and feeling like something's wrong with us. And, you know, my daughter's addiction, it actually started with an eating disorder. Mm. And she was absolutely beautiful, tall and thin. Like there wasn't anything wrong with her. But she was just comparing herself to all these people that she saw on social media. And that was initially a big part of how her de depression played out was an eating disorder. And she said definitely that social media played a part of that. Wow. I can't even imagine what these kids go through anymore, you know? Well, you also have a podcast called Living with Addiction. I do. How long have you been doing the podcast? I think like eight months now. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's oh, another way just for me to reach parents. I think that like I like to listen like when I'm in the car and stuff. And so I thought, well, let's give it a try because JR, we, who we both know, we've both been on his podcast, recommended it. And it's really been a great way to connect with more parents. And you know what's great about podcasts? <laughs> like I'm always listening to podcasts, but I go for walks and when I'm cooking or cleaning or something, I used to always have the TV on, but that gets distracting because then I'd, I'd end up watching it, even if it was a show I watched a million times. Right. But a podcast, unless you're vacuuming, then it's tricky. Uh, <laughs> but a podcast you can just have on and listen to. And depending on the podcast, but if it's educational, you're learning as you're doing all these things. So you're multitasking. <laughs> yeah. I love to listen to podcasts when I'm cleaning or working in the yard or when I'm out. I don't do it when I, as much as I'm walking now. I try to just be more intentional. 
but it makes anything that you don't feel like doing way more fun because <laughs> and for me they're all the ones i listen to are mostly personal development mm-hmm. so like you said i'm learning i'm figuring out ways to help myself and feel better so i love podcasts yeah i'm finding i keep finding more and then i'm like oh no i'm inundated with podcasts <laughs> yeah i, I definitely with them all. definitely have to constrain on what I listen to. Yeah. And there's so many good ones. I love the ones where they're dealing with, yeah, personal development, some of the social issues. Yeah. I mean, I like meditation or spiritual type podcasts as well, or anytime I want to learn something new. I think podcasts are a great way to immerse yourself in it. Definitely. So how can people reach you if they want to get in contact with you? So my website is heatherrosscoaching.com. And as you mentioned, there's the Living With Addiction podcast. And then on social media, I'm on Facebook and Instagram. And both of those are at Heather Ross Coaching. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Heather. This was thank you. very educational and very lovely chatting with you. Yeah, I had a great time. Thanks for having me on. If you'd like to follow me on social media, you can find me on Instagram at stepup underscore podcast. I'm on Twitter at Steph underscore Ann underscore web. And my official podcast website is stephuppodcast.com. But I, I'm actually switching over for my book that's coming out, What Should Dragon Do? So I'm creating a new website and it's www.stephanieannweb.com. And that's Ann, A-N-N. I'm switching everything over, the podcast page, the blog, everything. I want to merge into the one website. So it's going to be that website. But for now, it's kind of all in the stage of just figuring this all out. Thanks again for listening. You guys are amazing. I hope you go out there and make it a great day. Bye.